The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being part of the show. We greatly appreciate you telling folks about the show. And as I've often mentioned, you're doing a fabulous job on this because I take an absolutely unreasonable and childlike thrill in watching the download numbers grow as they have been doing. So uh, I'm indebted to you. Much appreciation. And I'm joined in the studio by none other than one of the most exciting women in the world, in my world. In your life. In my world. And that would be Mrs. Lappin, Susan Lappin. And uh, one of the great things about being married to Susan Lappin is that there's never a dull moment. Uh, even when we are uh, just sitting and chatting casually, I never know what she's going to think of. She has a fertile and unusual, unconventional mind. And so uh, I thought that uh, it would be fun to, to do a show together with her where um, uh, we were just going to explore a couple of things that, uh, on, that are on my mind and some of the things that are on her mind. Uh, I said joining me in the studio, but the crazy thing is that nowadays uh, when mm. podcasting is beating out ter terrestrial radio, and the truth is that we now, you, you probably know this, we now have considerably higher listenerships to this show than we had than we, when we were on one of the most powerful West Coast radio stations, KSFO in San Francisco. It's, it is incredible, isn't it? And you know that I stick pins in my world map uh, for every country in which I know we have a listener. And every now and then I ask people to write in or, or go to the website and contact us and just tell me so where they're listening So what is the latest, new, the newest country? Um, the newest country is Iceland. Oh. Iceland. Well, you know, I, <laughs> as you know, I know some Icelandic. One word to be exact is some that meant really some. I know rabbit in Icelandic is canina. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but... Well, so, to our one... Welcome, canina. <laughs> to our one listener in Iceland, uh, you will be able to confirm whether or not Mrs. Lappin actually has that right. Uh, you know that Iceland is green and Greenland is icy. Yes. Yes, okay. So, and you know, do you know I've been in Iceland before, long before we met? On the way somewhere hopping over where a plane had to land to refuel? No, I actually stopped in Iceland. Oh, on I purpose? Yeah, but it was like b before, I came, before I came to the United States. Oh, wow, no. Yeah, yeah I was How there. How long were you there for? Um, about a day and a half, maybe. And what did you go Which, see? Which, by the way, is kind of about enough time to see the whole island. Oh, I think that's not so nice. I'm sure that <laughs> our Icelandic <laughs> listener is sitting there going, I can't believe you're picking on yeah, Iceland. Because of that, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. <laughs> no, please don't go away, Icelandic listener. And uh, anyways, um, uh, enough about Iceland. Okay. Uh, what I was just saying before is, you know, joining us in the studio is Mrs. Susan Lappin. Well, of course, 
in the days of terrestrial radio, it, you know, you were I joining remember, in. I remember you had the big ear things that went over your head, and you and you were in a studio, yes, right? And so uh-huh. when you sat in for me occasionally when I was traveling it on was. that show, you actually had to go downtown and go to the studio and, and do it there. But um, of course, in these days of the excitement of podcasting, uh, you joining me in the studio could mean in the car, around the dinner table, uh, in in an airplane. Podcasts are, are recorded almost everywhere these days. But um, okay, so uh, let me let me start the ball rolling, if I may. Okay, um, with a topic about which I know absolutely nothing. That is very rare because I have to say we are at tables frequently where people come up with topics, and I say to myself. I don't have the foggiest notion what they're talking about, and invariably you make an intelligent comment, and you do know what they're talking about. Uh, it's one of the things I find impressive. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I do have wide interests. I'm a jack of all trades, and uh, a master uh, of some. A master <laughs> of maybe just one, but uh, uh, what I don't know anything about are yes. horror movies because. I don't think I like horror movies. I've never been... I don't think I've ever seen a horror movie. Well, I'm not sure what what the definition of specifically a horror movie. In other words, suspense? No. What defines horror? No, a suspense movie. Do you remember that... No, I mean, these are... You and I like movies made before 1960, (laughs) for for the most part. But um, uh, Sleuth with Michael Caine was suspense. And then what was that one with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn set in Paris... Um, I forget for the moment, uh, but uh, no, those films have enormous suspense. And okay, so sus- so horror becomes horror, horror is where you you're just the the whole purpose of the movie is to terrify you. Oh, it's Alfred Hitchcock! Didn't you you like Alfred Hitchcock? Alfred I would Hitchcock, never. I don't watch Alfred Hitchcock. No, and I don't think I don't like Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock doesn't really fit the genre. You know, one of the most amazing things about uh, Psycho, for example, one of the, uh, the, the you most never famous, see anything. You actually, you think you do. Afterwards, people and I've spoken to people and, and had this conversation, and they're sure that they saw horror, but you don't. It's well, all, I, I would not even watch Psycho. I've never watched Psycho because I like sleeping. And yeah, quite frankly, you should be glad because if I scream in the middle of the night, I'm not going to only wake myself up. No, that, uh, that that is true. Although I, you know, every now and then you, you there are things you want to discuss, and you just <laughs> absolutely want to talk about them in the middle of the night. I and think you're dreaming. <laughs> no, not at all. The but problem no, so is, saying, I, I wasn't no, I, dreaming. So I don't watch horror movies either. So neither yeah, of us watch horror movies. We've never seen them. Now you know that uh, I developed a specialty a number of years ago. Actually, it was on KSFL, it was on a unique Radio. Specialty. It was, uh, I think specialties are pretty okay. much unique. I enjoyed a unique specialty. Uh, many people review movies, yes. right, on on radio, on television. Movie reviews are common, and I just didn't want to be yet one other movie reviewer. So I claimed the specialty being the only movie reviewer who reviewed movies he had never seen. I do recall that. And it was a very successful And you did a good segment. job at it. did a great job at it because I didn't rely just on reading one particular review. I relied on talking to four or five people who I had uh, nurtured relationships with over the years, uh, people who each had their own distinctive way of looking at a movie, each had a very... 
uh, perceptive and alert eyes. And so I, I really it was, was able to put together... It saved a tremendous amount of time to review movies you don't have to sit through. Um, I, I saved other Very people efficient. time, because once I'd finished the review, they basically, I included every spoiler possible. <laughs> so you, you listened to my review. You literally did not need to go to the movie afterwards. But... Uh, uh, and so in, in that, I can't really do that because I know very little about horror movies. But here's what I do know. You know I'm interested in trends, and yes. I think you are too. Okay. I like looking at things that are going on and saying to myself, what is this going to look like? What's this going to grow into in mm -hmm. 10 more years? And in order to develop some skill at that, uh, I've always looked back at things. I've looked at events or uh, uh, announcements or occurrences and always said, now, if I was watching this at the time, what has happened in the last 10 years since this event that I never would have realized was going to develop? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to always understand. Okay, so I have no idea what's happening with horror movies today. Are there more, fewer? Ah, so that's the thing. So I checked the numbers and the, uh, the number the percentage of movies released that are horror movies, and by horror movies I mean sort of really sick stuff, you know, uh, where there's death and disfigurement and where there's psychotic killers and, and where the movie makers uh, exhibit no real talent whatsoever in making mm -hmm. a movie. In other words, you may remember when I, when I was teaching at our synagogue in California, I used to say that if an author describes a death scene and it leaves you shuddering that's very artistic that that takes a lot of skill yes and the reason i say it takes a lot of skill is because they're able to evoke all the atmosphere of death but um they don't do so in a way that i cannot um remove the image from my mind i don't want a disturbing indelible image in my mind i don't want that so I want to be able to move on. Uh, if on a stage uh, a, a theatrical director creates an atmosphere of uh, deathly foreboding and, and disturbing, okay, as long as, as I can walk away from that and continue my life. But if the producer on a movie or the director on a movie or anywhere else drags a corpse onto the stage and forces me to look at it that's not art okay uh, that's bludgeoning me over the head and i can never escape it the imagery is now a permanent part of my of my psyche in a very disturbing way in a way that obstructs me carrying on with with life in a in a joyful kind of a way so what are you saying? Are you saying there are more horror movies being made? What I'm saying is the percentage of movies released um, that are horror movies is much, much, much more than it used to be. So I went back. I'll give you some figures. I went back uh, to the um, pre-World War II years, and about one in 300 movies was what we think of as a horror movie. But you know, and I know, that statistics are very unreliable things. Yes. And so a movie that was made pre-World War II was being made by a major studio. It was in, probably, it was, it was a big deal. Now anyone with a cell phone is making, can make a movie. So the question is, what, when you say there are more movies being made, the question is, are more people watching them really? 
because anyone can make a movie today. Just like we can podcast now from our kitchen table, I can make a movie. Yes. And I can say whatever, you know, to whoever collects the statistics, I made a horror movie. But, but no is, one's watched it. What is that? What does that have to do with the fact that um, in the 30s, one in 300 movies was a horror movie? And by, uh, by 2000, one out of 25 movies was a because horror the, movie. Because what's the definition of a movie? In other words, uh, is uh, a movie uh, a major a feature, studio? A feature release film. That's released on a major screen, on on multiple, on major yeah, screens. Yeah, you're yeah. sure. So you're not talking about, I remember there was what, the Blair Witch House Project or something. Do you remember that? The Blair Witch House, yes. Whatever, something about that. But that was an unusual thing because it was, in other words, I, I am asking what the definition of a movie is. Because if a movie, if 10 people see a movie, that, and then you're going to say, but that's the same as a movie that 50,000 no. people say, no, that's these, just not equivalent. I'm talking about um, movies with multi-million dollar budgets and uh, released by recognized uh, production companies. Okay. Well, that was my question. Including, by the way, Netflix. I hope Disney isn't in there. Well, of course they are. Think for a moment, and look, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, those five movies, uh, were one of the most successful film series of all time. They made nearly $5 billion. Now, I, don't think, I only saw one of them, but I, it certainly wasn't a horror movie. No, it that's was, true. But weren't, wasn't Barbarossa a ghost ship? Yeah, but, you know, there used to be the cat, the ghost in Mrs. Muir was a movie from the 19, I don't know, 60s or something. Uh, in other words, ghosts, uh, that kind of thing that happened. Was okay. I want you to know you were once out of town and your youngest daughter and I were reading, um, were reading Kidnapped, I, no, Treasure Island, I think. Yeah, it was Treasure Island. Well, we scared. We were reading it out loud. We we did a lot of read. I mean, I, it was, she wasn't a small child that I was reading too. We tended to read with our kids through their teenage years. We like reading aloud. It's a great way to share a book. We scared ourselves so badly that we couldn't go to sleep that night. That so when you were saying, I, I would say when you you were saying that books don't leave a really well written book does affect you. When I read Dracula, have you ever read Dracula? Yes, it's, our good uh, it's, friend Julie gave it to me, and then I started thinking maybe she isn't such a good friend. That is one scary book. So, I, right, but you could carry on in a way quite differently from had you pardon me, but I mean had you stumbled or had you witnessed a murder on, on the had I witnessed a vampire biting into someone's neck, that would be pretty disturbing. Right, but, but not I, really. It, and reading about it is not right. The same. But I'm not sure that I would call that a horror. In other words, I think that there's. There's gratuitous, grisly murder and dismemberment and stuff where there's no plot and there's nothing to it versus I think we've always, people have always, there's a slight element of enjoying being scared. It's the same thing that puts us on roller coasters. Now, I go on like the grade A roller coasters, the kind you take the five-year-old child and they're screaming and you don't feel so bad as an adult if you're screaming because you pretend you're screaming because it's more fun for the kid, yeah. even though you're really scared. I don't go on the cyclone. You know, I grew up in, I grew up, do you know what the cyclone is? You grew up within yelling distance of Coney Island. Of Coney Island, which had the cyclone. Now, compared to what happens today, the cyclone is probably as mild as can be. But I never went on the cyclone, not as a teenager, not as a young adult. That wasn't for me. I want the kitty merry-go-round. But the point is that people like being, there's something about being scared that is appealing to people. 
I, I think it makes people, it, it makes you feel alive. It does. It gets your blood moving and it makes you. So why don't you indulge? Because I feel alive by lots of other, there are lots of things. I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not numb. To, I, I like chocolate. <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah. Uh, but you're surely not telling me that the fact that horror movies making up one in 300 movies before World War Two, and then uh, by about 2000 turning out to be one out of 25 and by 2015 it was one in eight that's 12 from one third of a percent to 12 percent in a steady increase you can't possibly be telling me that that's not significant. No, I think it is, but I think there's probably a list of a dozen questions that have to be answered to find out how significant. In other words, is this appealing to boys between the ages of 12 and 15? And I could, my guess is it probably is. Or, you know, it, that's what makes it significant to me more than the numbers, because I want to know the numbers of people watching them. And I and this is why I'm I'm you trying can, to be very specific. You don't have to overthink this. I always overthink. I, I know that's what I, I do. <laughs> and by the way, a podcast <laughs> is probably not the right venue for overthinking. But why can't you just leave it at a very simple and inescapable fact that people in America today are watching far more horror movies than they used to? You know, okay. It constitute. It now constitutes. Of those people who consume popular entertainment, horror movies constitute a larger proportion than at any earlier stage since the development of movies. Okay. So can I accept, I accept that's, a bad, that? that's a bad thing. Okay. Now, what do you know about a, um, a music video that Michael Jackson made a few years ago called Thriller? That's in Manila? No, that's, is that Muhammad Ali? Yeah. Um, okay. Obviously, not very, very much. Too. Right. As as perhaps as perhaps one of America's leading commenters commentators on the popular culture, Mrs. Susan Lappin. The popular culture of the 1950s. I do. You may be one of the most advanced. Before and, I was born. Uh, yeah. Without, without you're definitely one of the most contemporary and advanced commentators on the popular culture of 1970. Uh, yeah. No, very little. I. Um, do you know that it was all about zombies? No. Do you know that it popularized a sort of a zombie dance? No. Okay. Sorry, I'm not, I was not a Michael Jackson. I was, you know what I followed. Um, so, what, the, what is the popularity of zombies? Zombies are essentially walking dead. Right. Whatever that is supposed to mean, right? Yes. Okay. This is now a, it's a sub-genre. It's been, of, I mean, I know movies. that. I do know that there are zombies. Huge. Zombies have been very big. There are zombie escape rooms. So I think, and here I may be, I, I could well be wrong on this. I mean, I haven't researched it, but I think 1968, right? A lot happened in 68. The Democratic National Convention chaos in Chicago. Wasn't that um, Robert Kennedy's assassination was 68? Yes, oh, yeah, because it's so. Democratic yeah, Convention. Yeah, that makes I sense. So. Yes. And it, it, was, it, it wasn't the year of, of Woodstock. It wasn't the year of um, the Rolling Stones 
uh, concert in California where somebody was killed. But it's everything's happening around that period. Okay. Around that period also was a um, a movie. I think it was called Night of the Living Dead. I've heard of it. And I think you see. I've heard of it. See. One of the most cutting edge commentators <laughs> of the 1970s, Susan Lappin. <laughs> Uh, well, um, so that was, I don't know that it was the first, but that was one of the, uh, one of certainly one of the early zombie movies, which, which said, okay, you know, these zombies used to be something that floats around the Caribbean and it may even have been a part of the, uh, what is the, the, the voodoo, voodoo, the Haitian stuff. But at any rate, Night of the Living Dead brought the zombies okay. to the United States right. America, and it's never stopped since then. Okay, I have something that you may not know because we haven't had a chance to discuss it. Now you're getting nervous, of course. <laughs> yes. But I, you know, I listen to, when I drive to an exercise class, I listen to podcasts. That's a chance. And I heard a podcast. I'm sometimes a few weeks behind, so it's, it, it aired a few weeks ago, I would imagine. But it spoke about a person who had set up a call-in helpline for people who did, for Satan. In other words, ah, a people, satanic. I, but he said that he thought it would be a joke. He thought it would be a joke. And people who wanted, they needed to pray. This is the thing. They needed to talk to some force that was greater than the norm, the forces that they can feel, touch, and understand in their lives. And he set it up thinking it would be a joke and people started calling in. And he, one, the one that particularly was a, a young girl, a relatively young girl, a teenager, saying, please, almost please pray to Satan that I'm not pregnant and that if I am, the baby dies because I don't know what to do. So here's somebody. She obviously has been taught or learned or somehow feels she cannot access God, that she doesn't have a line to God. Yeah. But she still knows she needs something that's beyond the tangible, beyond something spiritual. Yeah. And it creeped him out a little bit all of a sudden that this this line that he was getting I mean they were they were prank calls, but he was he was shocked at the serious calls he was getting from people who obviously had a need to pray and for whatever reason felt that God wasn't an option. But so Satan filled yes. in. So I think the zombies and and these things are maybe in some way like that as well. Maybe. And um, no, 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 no. You, or you think you think that was just to sort of... Uh, <laughs> now we'll discuss. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no. The price of green beans. Have you noticed how it's going up? No, no. I, I see that this... Uh, you, you're in, in some... A strange and not immediately apparent way. This is connected yes, I think so. to what we were talking about before. Uh, but you know what? Let me let me do a uh, a quick promotion of our website. Okay. Can, um, can we do a promotion of my musing since oh, I'm here today? Go for it. Because I um, actually like the musing that posted just uh, it just recently posted the one the current one that's up now because I um. I found the behavior of the women in white at the State of the Union speech truly, it, it was, I was embarrassed for them. I mean, they, they obviously weren't embarrassed, but I was embarrassed for them. I thought they looked ridiculous. And I wrote about it, and I, I do each week write. Sometimes it's political. Sometimes it's more family-oriented. Sometimes it's, quite frankly, whatever's on my mind, whatever I, I, I feel like writing about. 
but I would love people to head over to our website and look at Susan's musings. And for those people who may have or know of people with children, still at home children, ranging from babies through teenagers, I've even added a section of practical parenting for those who want to go and, and look particularly at that that type of writing. But Susan's musings, I, I enjoy writing them. I know there are some people at least who enjoy reading them, uh, you know, a couple tens of thousands. And I'd like to invite your listeners to come along and read them too. Well, think of them as our listeners. Well, tonight. Yes. Or today. And then there's all or the tomorrow. zombies. Do zombies read? Well, um, let's just give the website okay. and, then, and then return immediately <laughs> to the wonderful world of zombies um, through the eyes of Susan Lappin. The, uh, the, the website, www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, Got it? Rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, please read Susan's musings and uh, go to the store as well. Look around in the store and... Uh, Do you, you know, this is airing. We personally are not big on Valentine's Day. No, we're and not. Maybe some, some people who are listening are, some people aren't. But I would suggest people who really are interested in having love and romance and relationship with a special somebody in their life year-round might want to look at our Lasting Love set. Oh, okay. And what is in the Lasting Love set? I presume it probably includes the book... Um, Hands off. It includes the audio, two audio, two C, two CD audio set, Madam, I'm Adam, decoding yes. the marriage secrets of Eden. Yeah. And that is by you. And it includes two books by other authors that we and our people we know have found very useful. One of them is Hands Off, This May Be Love, which is a discussion of how to handle relationships prior to marriage. Yeah. And the other is I Only Want to Get Married Once which gives guidance to people on the types of things you getting should really it right be getting time. it right the first time, be paying attention yeah. to. Which, and by it, the way, for many of our listeners, is actually the second time. Or third, but There are a lot of counting. people who, are, who sort of have become yes. spiritually conscious and aware of uh, how the world really works. After off, a mistake. Yeah, Absolutely. Mistake, there's, yeah. You know, there's growth, and this is a good... And I, I do think, certainly, Madam, I'm Adam is for people who are not yet married and people who are already married. But I think the other books actually have things to offer to people who are already married as well, because it's never a bad idea to, in some way, see yourself also so in the, the set first question of a relationship. The Lasting Love Set. The Lasting Love Set at RabbiDanielLappin.com. And uh, scoot over to the uh, to the store section, Susan. By the way, since it includes, okay, we have a lot of listeners yes. far away, and they ah. like getting stuff by digital ah, download. Well, it's not available as a set. However, each the, the CD is available. CDs are available as downloads, and the each of those books are, or at least at least the hands off book. I'm not sure about the other one. Are available on Kindle. Okay, so uh, so no matter where you live, and you don't want this taking weeks coming to you through the mail outside the United States of America where we are based, uh, you just have a digital download. You can download the audio part of the program instantly, and uh, by using Kindle at Amazon, you can download, I think, both books. Hands off, this may be love, for sure, right? I'm not sure about the other one. And the other one, I'm also not sure, it. but uh, but I think it may well be uh, there as well. Okay, so uh, 
here then, Susan, is what I would love to have you um, bounce right off of. Okay. Here it is. Uh, a huge increase in horror movies okay. since 1930. That increase, if you graph it, actually becomes much steeper since 1960. Okay. At the same time, between now, between 1960 and now, the other cultural trend, which has been inescapable, has been a denigration of religious faith in America. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, is it possible, or am I building fanciful castles in the air? Is it possible that religion, Judeo-Christian religion, and I distinguish this from Islam uh, because Islam does have a, um, a love-death element to it, right? I am looking just because the Pope made a comment today, and I actually saw the headline, and I didn't read it, about um, Islam and the, the correlation between Islam and Christianity, and I was... Pope Francis was saying there is a correlation. Uh, you know what? I didn't read the article. I just uh, read the headline. So I'll, right, let's we'll, pretend I didn't say that. We'll check that and uh, and look into it. But if he did, it would be yet one more. And I mean no disrespect to Catholicism at all, but it certainly would be one more in a number of surprising pronouncements uh, by the Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis, um, with which I... Um, well, what can I say? I'm, I, I take issue, grave issue, largely on his economic matters. I, I really worry. And I understand there's a difference between his holy pronouncements and his commentaries, but uh, the Pope Francis is not well um, equipped. Anyway, I took the, us off. Sorry, the, that was a rabbit trail. Let's get back on the zombie yes, trail. You always do that, and I like it. It's fine. It's always interesting. <laughs> Everyone's not used to me. <laughs> that may well be. Um, so, let's see. Uh, what was I saying? I was saying that since there's been a decrease in religious commitment, and I'm talking specifically about Judeo-Christian Bible-based religious mm -hmm. commitment, because in Islam uh, there is a, um, a, a some, uh, I don't know what the word is, not an obsession, but there's certainly a, um, a, a closeness with death. Yes. In a way that it could hardly be less Christian or less Jewish. First of all, the, the whole idea about the 70 virgins after you die. And there's that. There's, and again, there, you know, Islam is the, you're thinking the, of the Sufis and you're Sunnis. You're thinking of the festival where right, they, they, they uh, lacerate they, themselves. They lacerate themselves and, and, and run around the streets, even with little kids, with blood pouring down their heads as they, as they cut themselves. Uh, so it's a different religion. No, as as uh, Winston Churchill so aptly noted in in one of his early twentieth century uh, books, but in uh, Judeo-Christian biblical faith, the phrase "I place before you this day life and death," therefore choose life. That's a phrase that almost everybody knows. N not everybody necessarily knows exactly in which book of the five books of Moses you find it, but there it is. It is there. And the idea of choosing life is important. And even the fact that the Bible never tells us to do anything that comes easily, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, for instance, nowhere in the five books of Moses does it say, and Jews, make sure you eat three solid meals a day. Or another example, Susan, come. You're on the, uh, on the spot. Another example of something that the Torah instructs, which is not natural, easy. Love your parents. You know, honor your oh, father and mother. Instru- everything instructs is not easy. So you're saying that choosing life is not the it's not automatic. automatic decision. It's not but a default. But if you don't choose life, then you choose death. That it's, there isn't a choose life or nothing. Yes. It's choose life or not death. Not choosing life is choosing death. In other words, as is so often the case in this world, neutrality is not an option. It is, in fact, a decision. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I think people may not know is people, certainly the people who read the Bible regularly do know that there is a prohibition against raising the dead or trying to contact the dead. But what people may not know is that there's no prohibition against, you know, don't fly through the air 100 miles above the ground without an airplane. I'm talking just because people can't do that. So the Bible doesn't prohibit things that we're not capable of. The fact that there's a prohibition against that suggests that we can do it. In other words, there is a world outside of the physical world in which we live, and it is reachable, and we're forbidden to do that. And that that is because... If you end up focusing on death, you can't focus on life at the same time. They're sort Very of good. They're, yes. they're sim- and that goes back to what we were saying um, a little bit earlier as well, in that um, uh, that, and I lost my train of thought on that at that moment. But that's a uh, uh, it's a hazard of, of living doing, with me. Yes, I was just <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, that's just you. that's just my, that. <laughs> that's just my. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, when our we're blessed with six daughters and one son, but and uh, a daughter-in-law. And several, I feel you have to say seven and, daughters now. And a daughter-in-law. But what I was saying is that um, gr- you know it was it was it was really quite delightful because at family uh, dinner table. Um, I always made sure I came to the dinner table with topics, with things I, I was going to discuss with the family. And, uh, and it was very difficult because no sooner did I raise a topic and begin discussing it, and there'd be one or two responses. But then the table would run away from me as the girls launched into one insane pandemonium of ideas hard on one another's heels, jumping from one thing to another. When eventually, after several minutes of this, somebody would turn to me with big blue eyes and innocently say, so, Daddy, what were you saying? And I didn't have the faintest (laughs) recollection anymore of what I could possibly have been saying. So, speaking of which... Yeah, so... um, So, uh, are you saying that? Here's what I was saying. I was saying saying that the the Bible um, provides a matrix for managing with death. In other words, there's this um, reality of death, and everybody is aware of it, but we also understand that if it begins to overwhelm your consciousness, Mm -hmm. you can never function anymore. 
In other words, you enter an eat, drink, and be merry scenario because we're dead anyway, so why bother to build anything? Why bother to think long-term? Why bother to do anything? And, and it really plays into a hedonistic urge we all have, which is, hey, you know what? I mean, nothing means anything, everything. And, and so sure enough, when a culture becomes suffused with death, it becomes a culture less capable of genuine creativity, economically, artistically, or, or any other area as well. And so the Bible says, look, you're not to get too involved with death. Um, don't bring up the dead. Don't be obsessively preoccupied with death. Make sure you're choosing life. And to such an extent that when we do have to confront death, mourners, for instance, there is an entire uh, mandated biblical procedure for the mourner to return to normality because yes. it's so easy to become overwhelmed by grief and by loss to a point where uh, your entire personality has been changed. I was going to say, you, you spoke about the hedonism side. I think there's a flip side. It, people go either towards the hedonism or almost to acting as if they're dead, even though they're still alive. In other words, a depression and, and a withdrawal from the world. come the zombies. That's the theory I'm running by you. The theory is yes. that as long as... Western civilization was comfortable with the with its biblical origins as long as people were Christian in an unselfconscious way as long as Jews were religious in even if not in a fully observant fashion but at least in a comfortable uh, and non um, corrosive way mm -hmm. uh, death was kept at bay people could deal with the death aspect of life. As America or West, the West becomes secularized, starting off in 1960, 62, uh, and building up speed up to the present time, what we find is a growing culture of death. You didn't choose life or you've abandoned life as your, um, as your blueprint of life. And so the result is death. So we find 1973 Roe v. Wade. And soon on its heels comes homosexuality, almost a glorification of homosexuality, uh, a warm, fuzzy, comfortable feeling that everybody has. It's, it's oh, so cool to be cool with gayness. And it's a joke and it's funny and it's accepted. And that and then homosexual marriage, and oh, that is, we, we're getting so sophisticated, and we're getting so advanced, this is so wonderful. And then there's talk of euthanasia. You know, I, I know what you're saying, but I honestly think that for a person listening, certainly a person under the age of 30, um, what you said makes no sense, but you just said, what's the connection? And I think it would take literally hours. No, I, think, I don't think it's a quick connection. Well, let me let me connect homosexuality. What I that. think, can I just, what I would connect is I, I, I don't think, had you said to anyone on the Supreme Court or anyone arguing that Roe v. Wade should become law of the land, 
had you said to them, and of course, a few a few decades from now, this is going to be abortion will be celebrated as a wonderful thing for women, and we will be discussing infanticide. They would have told you, "Don't be ridiculous. That's absurd." Because there's no connection. There's no connection, okay. and yet we look so back and to, see that this not, was a path. We're not going to take follow. more than a few minutes, and we are going to uh, to. Um, Join the dots a little so bit. I'll tell, can I tell you why I think it is a little problematic to take only a few minutes to do that? Because No, because up. I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, I, I didn't say you're not going to do yeah. it. I'm just going to tell people why I think it's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just because... <laughs> no wonder we get letters saying you interrupt me. <laughs> I didn't interrupt. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that I think these are very serious issues. In other words, I truly, truly, truly... Um, and I know women. I know women who had abortion. I know women who were for abortion because of feelings of compassion and true yes. concern for... Because you know what? Having a baby changes your life. It does. And I also know people who have been brought up... Once you, When you've been brought up in a culture to think of something as normative, you think of it as normative. And the pe people today have been brought up in a culture of homosexuality. And so... When you speak about it, you're speaking a, a foreign language yeah. because no, it's normal. I appreciate that, and you're right. I, I, I'm pleased you brought that up because I'm not saying that someone who decides to have an abortion is deathly. And I'm not saying somebody who feels same-sex urges is death. I'm not saying that at all. I'm speaking only as a huge number of people called a society or a culture. And things happen within that culture. In other words... Um, is it safe to say that smoking shortens uh, people's lives? I think it is. You seem dubious. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, <laughs> you really are. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to accuse you of being a yes man or a yes girl. That's not happening. Okay, no, I'll give you that, yes. Okay. Well, I'm just curious. Like, what possible doubts? In could a you... No, in a large, in a large That's selection of people, about. yes. And then somebody says, "But wait a second, George Burns, the great comedian, George Burns smoked three cigars a day and lived to be a hundred years. It, so what? It doesn't change anything, right? And so, when you speak about a large number of people, certain things can be true. Um, if I yell fire right this minute. I don't think you're going to jump up and run for the exit. But I think it's probably quite likely. But I bet you're too scared to try it. <laughs> I was just, I was citing it as a mere theoretical. But obviously, um, crowd behavior is very predictable. And that's one of the reasons that, for the most part, polling is surprisingly accurate. It obviously has its flaws and failings, usually for good reason. But when anything, anytime you're dealing with a large number of people, um, certain predictabilities are built in. And so that's what we're talking about over here as well. Um, so uh, a spread of a death culture, that doesn't mean that any particular person is going to have an abortion or a particular person is going to become a homosexual or that somebody who... Who who thinks about pulling the plug the plug on uh, Great Uncle Fred is somehow death obsessed. These are, are all human beings coping with the uh, 
with the curveballs of life, dealing with what they have to deal with, making the best decisions they can under the circumstances of their own personal wants and desires and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, proclivities and so on. So with, with all that being said, um, I do think that the change in the kind of movies that have been produced is reflective of a society that is becoming less capable of dealing with death as a part of life and now um, view in, in a way um, I, I'm going to use a phrase that uh, a friend of ours uh, with whom we had dinner in New York the other night uh, once used in a conversation and he, he spoke about death porn I'm trying to think who we had dinner with in New York uh, we had. Oh, when, okay, yes. When okay, we were driving, we it drove It was last back. week. Okay, my memory we does go that. Remember, that we, far. we did yes. speeches for the yeah, no, 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 United okay. States Army. I do remember. No, okay. no, I know. I know. In who Massachusetts. Yes, I get it. I get it. Okay, fine. And we got stopped by a policeman in New York City. And who did not say, I told you so, when you picked up your phone? Um, I, I got stopped by a policeman in New York City for holding my cell phone, which had ways on it. You know what? You know what? He was a nice guy. He was. He let you off. Um, because I said to him, look, he said, do you live here? No. He said, are you from out of town? Any, by the way, if you're in New York, anywhere across the Hudson is out of town. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like, they don't care if it's Fresno or, uh, or, or Miami or Chicago. If you're not from New York... I have York, to tell you, having grown up there, Staten Island is considered out of town. Uh, it's also out of town, <laughs> yes. But anyway, so I explained to him, I was just really... I was baffled by the traffic and by the... I'm yes, trying to find my... Anyway... But who did not say, I, t I told you so, even though I've told you many times, you cannot pick your phone up and hold it up in front of you in New York? Yes, well, you... Well, were, actually, you, were you can't do it in most, you most states. You're absolutely right. So, folks, beware, especially in the nighttime when that eerie glow from your cell phone illuminates the interior of your car. The police vehicle behind you absolutely can see <laughs> that you've got a cell phone and um, are likely to, um, to, to stop you. But um, anyway, no, the, the point is, uh, I think that these movies, mm -hmm. these zombie movies You're in particular, I think yes. these movies are a kind of death porn. Um, in the same way that there's sex porn, I think there's death porn. And both of them cater to a, um, a curiosity, I want to say almost a morbid, but I'll, instead I'll say an obsessive curiosity about what lies behind the curtain of life. In other words, if you think of life as from birth to death, mm -hmm. um, what's on the front end? Well, so this What's goes before? Well, that's sex. And you'll remember I've quoted in the past, and I, I've quoted Norman Mailer on this just because he's such an improbable person for me to quote on this topic. Oh, I remember. I know what you're going to so, say. What am I going to say? That when he had his vasectomy? Yes, that's right. Norman Mailer spoke of the fact that in spite of doctors having assured him that a vasectomy uh, will in no way impact the pleasure of sex, he wrote that this was not correct and they misled him. It made a huge difference. And... Um, and, and that's just a reality. In other words, yeah, we all, we all understand that sex between a husband and a wife 
is uh, intended by our creator not only to propagate the species, not only to bring new life into the world, but also uh, to bring about a a closeness between husband and wife that cannot be uh, achieved in any other way. That level of intimacy uh, brings about a relationship between two strangers that ultimately ends up being far more powerful than the relationship between siblings. And sex is part of that magic. And um, in spite of that, and in spite of the fact that nobody would have thought that there's any difference, the truth is that if you utterly remove all capacity to create life, from the act. It really does change it. Well, can I just say, so the doctors were speaking on a physical sensation level, but yes. they were leaving out they were the psychology no. and you want to call it the soul or psychology. The mind has an important part in sexual pleasure. Without and question. And so they were leaving that out. So going back, can I go back because you said something earlier about taking the Bible. I think that people who like to think of themselves as rational people will say, you know, so you die, and you die, and that's the end of you. Mo- but most people are not comfortable with that. They need something. So if you take away religion, which has an answer for things that happen to us, we may not have details, but we know that there is there's another a, world a, and a there's larger a, plan, yeah. a, a bigger plan. If and, you take uh, that away... And I mean, every sane person recognizes that uh, human beings are not just bodies, but we're bodies and souls, and... Everyone recognizes that things that are spirit don't come to an end. So even when well, the body... I wouldn't say every sane person, but I would say people who haven't been damaged yes. in some way. You are. I, I. I. I switch to your formulation. I like it. But so so, if the world insists to you, no, there is no religion. There is no God. There's no life after death. You you have to create your own. And so zombies or well, whatever that's what it I'm, is. That's what I'm. That's, that's exactly what I'm where we're yeah. going. That. There's no question that the proliferation of horror movies in general and zombie movies in particular, and I was struck by the realization that there was very little in the way of zombie entertainment prior to the 60s. And that's the date, the period I associate with the invasion of secularism that began to steamroller American culture. So secularism starts growing and zombie movies start growing. What's going on? Maybe it is death porn. It's an alternative model for dealing with death. Just like pornography is an alternative model for dealing with sex. Exactly right. That's exactly right. In other words, how do you peer behind the the curtain of life? Well, at the front end, you've got birth and some of that um, magic has to do with sex. And at the back end is death. And, um, and that's not just euthanasia, but what do they talk of? You know, when they say entertainment, you know, you'll sometimes hear people denigrating popular entertainment. You know what? Trouble with movies these days is they're just all about. Yes. Sex and death. Sex and violence, they say. Sex and violence, right? Movie, sex and violence, sex and violence. That's all you see. In the, you, that's what people complain about. And what it is, is in fact exactly this. It is the beginning of life and the end of life. Now, 
the, the great thing about violence from an entertainment point of view is you don't have to wait for old people to die. You can actually <laughs> make, and you can make young pretty people die as well. That's the, the power of violence. And of course, sex is the front end of that. So yeah, it would, it would make sense that, that there is porn, uh, pornography on, on both those fronts, sex and death. And, uh, and that is, I think, so, a little bit of what of what I'm, I'm I, I've been thinking about. I, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to play devil's advocate for a minute and say, have you never heard of Romeo and Juliet? I mean, so this is a not a modern play or a modern, you know, the the, the movies based on it or not. It's not a modern idea. This is Shakespeare. Have yeah. you ever heard of the Bible? There's an awful lot of death and killing. Yeah, in fact, in the probably, Bible, I think the majority of people actually do die. In in, in general. Well, in general, yes. But I'm saying that, how, what would you say to somebody who says, you know what, I don't understand. Look at Shakespeare. There's people yes. being Absolutely. killed all the time. Absolutely. Look at the Bible. You've got people being killed and, and battles and all sorts of things. Look at, you know, um, I don't know how you say her name in English, but yeah, El cuts off Sisera's head. I mean, that's rather violent. Yes. So, so what are you pretending that this is a new thing and everything was roses and... Uh, high tea before before now go for it answer it. no i'm asking you no you said you you think you know what i'm gonna but say i want to hear what you want to say well you say it <laughs> and then i'll tell you <laughs> no i think that sex and death it's not that those are newly part of they're obviously of go not. they go back to the garden of eden they, and from there on they're part of they are part of life that's yes. we're constantly fascinated by them every generation and every time and place are fascinated by them with by them but we've stopped handling them in a healthy way. And so when you stop handling in, in a healthy way, you hand, you don't stop thinking about them and you don't stop dealing with it. It transitions, but it to, transitions uh, to an uh, unhealthy unwholesome way. way of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think there's a huge difference between uh, an artistic depiction of death as, I mean, you gave an example of Romeo and Juliet, but... Uh, there are many instances in the Bible that are spoken of, and and uh, and indeed, I mean, people people experience death in, in in many many different ways today. All of that is is part of life and can be handled and should be handled in a healthy and life affirming kind of a way. Uh, but when it becomes a part of a of a um, a, a bizarre uh, form of entertainment, that changes that changes everything. And the, um, it's also the amount of it. So in other words, what, uh, how much experience of death? Let's think for the moment prior to, um, to television and movies. Prior to that, by the time a person turns 21, how much experience have they had of well, death? Well, this is interesting because the fact is that much more than we have. In other words, it used to be not uncommon. People would have 13, 14 children, of which sometimes only four or five survived. Yes. People had siblings in the graveyard. They they were aware of it. They lost mothers in childbirth. And those people were actually much more surrounded they, by death than we are in the that's my point. first world countries. Right. It, so, was very, it was very so real. It was a part of life in a real way. So in other words, ah, the, that's what you're saying. That, yes. that, that we were, and even, even people died in the house. They weren't off in a hospital. So the yes. grandparents, even if there was something yes. to an old age, there was in, there was a room, which would have been the birthing and the dying room sometimes <laughs> in a big, you know, in a, yeah, if happen. you were wealthy enough to have a room that could be isolated for that. Yeah, exactly right. And so, 
it it wasn't a joke it wasn't entertainment it was just it was part of life it was tragic and part of being able to live life as a healthy psychically healthy individual was being able to move on and get past it you got it you got to be able to do that and that is certainly a great deal of a religious approach to death um it, it would seem to me that without that it would almost be absolutely impossible to move on if you lose somebody close to you how do you possibly get on from that a religious framework makes that a lot easier um you don't have to block it out. You don't have to desensitize yourself. Uh, you don't have to anesthetize yourself. You, uh, y there is a correct way to deal with it, to confront it, and to move on. But if you strip that away, once there's no spiritual reality anymore, and you insist that death is final, there is no eternal life, there's no heaven, there's nothing else, well, now you've created a uh, scenario that requires, if you like, death porn. You've got to put something in there. And I think that zombie movies are one uh, symptom of what is being put in there. It's not the thing itself. It's a reflection of what is happening culturally on that front. I, you're still not going to get me to go see a zombie movie. I will not go. You don't think now that that we're seeing it as an important um, signpost to cultural deterioration. You don't think that perhaps we ought to get something of, of an idea of what it's all about. Hey, how about all the vampire uh, novels that seem They were to... set in Washington State, which does is a mitigating factor for us. <laughs> yes, for us. That's a, look, we, <laughs> uh, we, we love Washington State. We love the Pacific Northwest. But, uh, As I told you, I Dracula scared the daylights out of me and really did start did me questioning... Read, did our girls read any of the uh, young adults' no, uh, um, I don't, not vampire that I fiction? I, think, I, I do think they were older by the time they came out that it wasn't sort of... They weren't the right... It wasn't even a temptation, I don't believe. Um, well, I, I don't want to... I don't want to muddy the waters here by uh, bringing in the vampires because I'm not 100% sure that vampires and, and zombies, zombies go together. are on the, in the same family. I don't even know that. You know, you know That's the, how um, ignorant I am. You know the Rogers and Hammerstein musical Oklahoma where it's the, the farmers and the cowboys can be friends and the vampires and the zombies the vampires can, be friends. can be friends. That's right. I don't know about that. I'm not sure. But um, it probably needs some. some Have you ever at. read Dracula, though? I'm just curious. Um, I told you I did. Yes. Oh, it is scary. Yeah, Mary Shelley's book. No, that's Frankenstein. Oh, not Frank. Oh, Frankenstein. Uh, Dracula is um, Bra um, Bram. Bram. Brad Bram. Bram. Uh, oh, now Stoker. Um, Stoker. That's yeah. right. That uh, is yes. a scary book. Now, again, I don't know if you see too many movies. I think books may lose their power to scare you. I, the more you, the more visuals you see, the I less. I think so. And I think the beauty of here. a book is that it doesn't leave an indelible image in my well, mind. I don't know. I have to tell you, there was once there was a, going back maybe ten years. There was a book that was very popular, and I don't remember its name, but I read it and I picked it up. And there are a lot of books I pick up and I discard by the end of the first chapter because. I can tell that they're not something that are, going, that are going to be good for me or not something I'm going to enjoy. It's something that's going to bother me. This one started with the most horrific scene and is still part of my, it is still in my mind. And really? I, I really regret it. I wish somebody had said what to me. What was the book? I don't remember. Uh, but I wish somebody had said to me, do not read this book that everybody's talking about because literally it opens with a horrible scene. Uh, yes. They're, they're, so again, can, a, good, a good writer there will. There can be things yes. like that. 
Um, Susan, yes. uh, you won't be shocked to hear that time has sped by, as it usually does when you and I are having fun. <laughs> and um, you, uh, it's now you should once again encourage our dear listeners to visit the website where they can get there even more of us. There is so much on www.rabbidaniellappin.com. There really is. There's Every week there's a new Bible teaching called Thought Tool. There's an Ask the Rabbi question where the two of us together answer a question that somebody sends in that we think probably is a question that more than one person is thinking about or will resonate with more than one person. What is the current uh, Ask the Rabbi about, by the way? Do you remember? It's from Linda, and I need to remember because she wrote thanking us for talking about it. Sanctuary Cities. Sanctuary, yes, if sanctuary yes. cities are based on cities of refuge in the Bible. Yeah, one of the, it's really important, by the way, because I've noticed that, uh, including, including to my dismay, some clergymen of well, both the Jewish and Christian persuasions have argued that, oh, it is the religious duty of people to help illegal immigrants and to provide sanctuaries for them. Folks, I'm afraid that is nothing but uh, unadulterated bilge water. And uh, we answer that in a current ATR, Ask the Rabbi, on RabbiDanielLappin.com. And Sorry, then, Susan, then there's my musing, and then your po- this, the, the announcement of the new podcast comes out. But there's other things also. There's every once in a while, we put out something called On Our Mind, where we write something just that morning. We read the paper, we hear something on the radio, something comes into our mind that we doesn't fit into any of our normal categories. So we jot it off and put it over there. And um, you can also find access to our TV show from our website and our store, where we have really fantastic stuff. We have amazing resources in our store. It's worth taking a look. And for since this is a podcast audience, m- many of the things are available as downloads or in a Kindle version if it is a book. So do head on over to www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Um, Susan, what does the name Meg Whitman mean to you? She was she was a presidential contender at one point, she, but she was a CEO. She tried or, to be the governor of California. That's right, governor of California. She was a CEO of Hewlett Packard. Hewlett Packard, okay. And before that, of eBay. Okay. So a stellar career in corporate America. Uh, you know what she didn't. It do wasn't that. so stellar because when she started running for governor of California, a lot of people were at Hewlett Packard. It wasn't so stellar, but it was uh, Hewlett okay. Packard was a tough well, are situation. Are you coming across something new about her? Uh, no, I wanted to tell you something, and I wanted to Please. get your opinion on this before okay, we um, we we have to sort of start thinking about the tail end of the show. But um, I thought this was the tail end of the show. <laughs> then we've got uh, then. What does the name Jeffrey Katzenberg mean to you? Do you remember when I? Had was, some dealings with him. Was that Disney? He, was he a Disney guy? He was the former head of Disney. He was the chairman of Walt Disney. Okay. And then he became. Don't tell me they've turned into Then he his became armies. DreamWorks. No, no, this is a, a, a different, a different. Though I wanted to just. Uh, this is like cutting edge news. Okay, so tell me the I cutting edge to, news. I wanted to tell you. So, um, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. And Meg Whitman have put in a lot of their own money of which they have a great deal, plus they have attracted really significant uh, venture capital Uh um, for a new studio that is going to make 10-minute videos that people can watch on their phones. 
So their theory is... People can't sit for an hour and a half anymore. Exactly. And what's more, you've got many 10-minute slices of time. You're waiting in line at the Uh bank or you're standing here, you're waiting there. You pull out your phone, and if you could watch really top-rate produced, not you know, not the cat video on YouTube, but something really good. So this is a subscription thing? You'll sign up and then you'll have access to They it. are actually not finished designing. It's This hasn't been launched yet. It's a, it's, it's a new company, and they, they're calling it Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I, and it means, like, quick bite, I think it means something okay. like that. But uh, but that's the concept. So these are heavy hitters. They're Hollywood. I mean, he's a Hollywood. Well, and you know what? It. Didn't Pixar, doesn't Pixar, but when you go to the movie, sometimes there's a, a short little mini movie by Pixar. There used to be, yes. The, yeah. Well, this when is... When was the last time we went to the movie? Don't don't talk about that. It, it, it could undermine our credibility <laughs> in, when on shows where, when, we, when, we, when we discuss movies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um... By the way, uh, I, I was going to say, look, you you know, today you can stay home and watch Hulu and and Amazon, Amazon Prime, Prime and, and Netflix, Netflix, yeah, and many and many yeah. others. By the way, so you can actually see movies without leaving your house. Netflix is also big on the horror movie genre. So just going back to that, but anyway, what do you think of that? What do you? On the one hand, these are two people who really know the game, and they're putting a lot of money into this idea. They're going to. And they've, by the way, they've signed up some name directors uh, to actually create this content in this new form. They really believe that uh, consumers will flock to 10-minute bites of entertainment as opposed to full long-form movies. Well, you know, gut feel, you want to invest in this, yes or no? I can see this going. I can see this. I don't invest in things like this, but I can see this no, working. in theory. I can see this working. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested because my first reaction was no. And then I thought to myself, you know what? You don't have the people. Faintest. I'll tell you I the thing. People are, ext- we have now the cult. It's a combination of um, one hand washing the other. One thing leads to the other. And then it bounces. There's a phrase that when things bounce back. Can't help you on that. All right. Well, we've made a culture where people are incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable with any time that is not filled with an action and that action very often is looking at one's phone and people are you used to sit at a bus stop you just sat and waited for the bus or a train station and you yeah. waited for the train sometimes or you, you talk to the person next to you or you read something or you started a conversation somebody, yeah. with the person that right. doesn't happen anymore people are incredibly uncomfortable with being left alone with themselves reason well, because, because you end up having to think about yeah, things you don't want to think it, about. It, it's right. Contemplation yeah. is not a good. It's funny. People will do meditation, but the idea of just not doing, not having to meditate, just being quiet with your own thoughts, is is not comfortable for most people. So Absolutely. I think giving people ten minutes, and I think that's it's also a procrastination thing. In other words, I know I don't have time to watch a whole hour and a half movie before I start work, but. 10 minutes i'm just gonna do 10 one little i think it will appeal um and it, you know it's, it's a profit it has a, a beginning and a middle and an ending it's it's a neat it doesn't packaged. make me strain my mem- my mind i got right. to hold it all in and develop like, something uh, it's listening you know, to a, a two or three minute pop song as opposed to a right. 30 minute symphony yeah so yeah. i i i could hear this going wow 
That is very interesting. I'm, 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 uh, I thank you for that response. I, I, I've been. I mean, maybe people will send you emails and tell you what maybe. they think. Maybe I'm curious. But I can hear it. It'll I be hear very it's a good interesting idea. to watch. It's got enough muscle behind it, both financial and talent. Now a lot of if this can work. It will. Well, a lot of times the first iteration doesn't, and then somebody else learns from the mistakes of the first iteration, and then, very, and then very is a success. Yeah. All right, uh, Susan, thanks so much. Great to collaborate with you well, on this. Thank is you on for everything inviting else. me on the show tonight. And we know what we're going to do. It. We're going to we're going to do it more frequently than we have in the past. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> and for some people, that's a threat. For some people, that's a promise, <laughs> but that's what's going to happen. So, uh, everybody, that means that until next week, Susan Lappin and I wish you a fulfilling week in every aspect of your lives, your faith, your family, your friendships, and your finances. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.